the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, the Finance Coast and Mohamed Nalla. Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets. In addition to our weekly free show that you know and love, we have now launched Magic Markets Premium, a weekly show for our subscribers in which we give detailed analysis on global stocks. Every premium show is accompanied by a report covering the company's strategic drivers, its operating environment, its competitors, bull versus bear case, technical trading indicators, and a long-term investment thesis. At just 99 Rand per month, we are committed to making institutional-level analysis affordable for all investors and traders. Visit magic-markets.com to go premium and unlock your full potential in the markets. Welcome to episode 113 of Magic Markets. It's just Mo and I this week, and occasionally we get to do one of these uh, guestless shows for want of a better description, and that's when Mo and I tend to actually break out some of the research we've done in Magic Markets Premium or stuff we've recently done in our portfolios or just our general thinking about some of the companies out there. It'll be no different this time, Mo. I think we're going to have some interesting chats tonight around some of the stuff we've uh, bought and sold in our global portfolios and obviously informed by the work we've done in Premium over the past year, really. Yeah, indeed. In fact, maybe over a year, Ghost. I think uh, it's, it's really an important exercise. I enjoy these, let's call them guestless shows, simply because it allows us some very public soul-searching, right? This is us going and comparing our notebooks and our notes and saying, hey, what did we get right? What did we get wrong? What did we execute on? What should we have executed on? But the point for me goes on this particular show that I want to resonate with our listeners and potentially even with our subscribers in Magic Markets Premium who also then listen to this free show is that sometimes when you go through this process of researching, we might research, you know, we, we have in Magic Markets Premium researched over 60 different global stocks by now. You know, that's more than 10% of the S&P 500. And in that process, you're not expected to be investing in each and every one of those stocks. Sometimes a lot of the research process is about finding things that you're not happy to invest in. And so I don't want our listeners to ever think that, oh, these guys go through all of this and there's a buy recommendation on this or a sell recommendation on that. Quite often it's, hey, is this company one that I'm interested in, that I wanna look at, that I wanna consider an investment in? And when you do the homework, sometimes the answer to that question is no. So I want to almost highlight how often you sometimes walk away from a company rather than just executing on every single idea that you see out there, because that's part of the investing discipline. Absolutely. Investing is about saying no. And that's that's very different, actually, because trading, you can't spend your whole life saying no because you need to eat what you kill. And uh, you can't kill by walking around saying no. So you need to learn to take a view and, you know, sometimes you'll look just for a position that moves, you know, three or four percent, probably five, six, maybe. And that's a that's a good play, you know, and you look to make that in a couple of days or a couple of weeks. If it's a swing trade, maybe use some leverage. It's a little bit different. In fact, it's completely different to the world of investing. And what we do, obviously, in premium is we use a nice combination, I think, of some of the technical trading stuff and the fundamentals, because at the end of the day, the fundamentals give you a reasonable view on where this thing is heading long term. And the technicals do a really good job of giving you tactics around your position. You know, what are sensible entry points? What are, you know, areas where you may not necessarily want to jump in? Should you build the position quickly or slowly? Moving averages. There's been so much that I've even learned from this, actually, you know, from you, because I didn't really know anything about technicals, you know, going into this, other than just following what people are saying on Twitter and and trying to just learn from them, whereas fundamentals always been where I've played. And it's, it's really cool to use the combination and, and, and try and make smart decisions in your portfolio where you can with that. 
Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's always not an exact science. You know, investing and trading is not an exact science. You know, there are different views out there. There are divergent views, even on technicals. So you know, I like to look at things both from a, a top-down uh, approach and then also from a bottoms-up approach. And that's where the combination of the fundamentals and the technicals become really relevant. I think what I want to highlight, certainly even in you know some of the stocks we're going to discuss now, some of the views we're going to discuss now, and this might give a sneak peek to some of our non-subscribers into some of the work that's been done in, in Magic Markets Premium, is there were some ideas that I looked at executing in my long-term, my investing portfolio. There were some ideas that you look at executing in your trading portfolio. And how have those actually played out? Now, that being said, the kind of caveat in my world is that over the last year, and this is stuff that's come out in discussions, even, for example, when we were discussing with Herenia, Trader Pietri on Herenia, is that from time to time, you play to your strengths. And over the last year, I've been a lot less active in my trading portfolio than I have been in my investing portfolio. And that's going to come through in terms of some ideas that you could have taken in your trading portfolio or might have wanted to take in your trading portfolio, but didn't. So yeah, I think let's jump into some of those ideas in terms of what worked, what didn't work, what did we actually execute on? Uh, and by exclusion, of course, that gives you a very long list of things that we considered and researched, but didn't actually pull the trigger on. And that's part of the investing process of saying no. Uh, let's let's jump right in. So I'll go first, Mo. One that did not work for me was Hasbro. Has been, if you look at the share price. They, they might make that game Monopoly, but uh, that's definitely not what they're having a toy aisle, I'm afraid. And there was a big run-up in sales during the pandemic and after it a little bit. You know, everyone was stuck at home, board games. I mean, that was clearly not sustainable. Then there was a dip, which was expected. But what was not expected was a really poor end to 2022. And it was a bit of everything, really. Their sales flattened. So that disappointed the market. Gross margin fell as well. So that's a double whammy of pain. The only good news really is that they managed operating expenses reasonably well in the face of all of these issues. But it got so bad at the end of last year that they actually made a loss, I think, in the fourth quarter due to asset write-down. So, you know, when you start to see those impairments coming through and everything else, it's really not pretty. Those are non-cash charges. That's an accounting entry, but still. So the inflationary pressures on consumers, you know, clearly visible. Got this one wrong. I think, uh, you know, they're really disappointed, unfortunately, versus what they should have done as a management team and what they should have gotten right with this business. And there has been some activist activity around this company before, actually, specifically trying to unpick sort of Magic the Gathering and get that out of the system and Dungeons and Dragons, you'll remember, is inside there, you know, Geeks Unite. And actually, there might be some truth to that, you know, in terms of the activists may well have a point if we look at what happened in the last year. I think, Mo, at some point we need to revisit this on Magic Markets Premium, actually delve into you know a bit of a post-mortem on this and what has happened, not least of all because I'm hoping the worst might be over and I need to make a call on whether I'm bringing my in-price down. Uh, you know, I've learned the hard way about catching falling knives. Like, obviously, you know, in a perfect world, you want to let them stop falling. If everyone knew exactly what that point is, we'd all be very rich. But I wait a lot longer now before I try and actually average down. And it's kind of getting to that point. Either way, I need to make an informed decision about my future with Hasbro. So I think we need to recap it soon. I'm so, I'm so chuffed that you kind of raised Hasbro as, as your first kind of one that didn't work. Because mine's going to be a related company, right? Because we covered it in, in Magic Markets Free, the free podcast, where we looked at Hasbro and Disney. I know you're a Disney investor as well. And, and Disney's been a bit of a sore point for me, Ghost. I mean, we, we covered Disney. It was around $148 a share. And the fact of the matter is we recapped it. We looked at it a couple of times. Now, 
With Hasbro, for example, I know you're a big fan of the Dungeons & Dragons franchise. In Disney, there's the entire library, and I know both of us liked the company. We liked some of the IP, but Disney's really gone through a difficult time. I think it was one of the earlier stocks we covered in Magic Markets Premium. I had held it at that time, and I continued holding it. And from 148, the stock went all the way down to $84 a share. $84 a share. And I'll be honest, just a couple of weeks ago, Ghost, I think I mentioned to you, I said, I'm thinking of cutting my Disney position, right? I didn't. But it's one of those where I have to do some proper soul searching to say, what is my investment thesis on the stock? Do I cut now that we're down massively? You know, uh, I've made money on Disney over the years, but more recently, that has been a pressure point in the portfolio. The stock's currently just above $100. But Disney itself has gone through a lot of upheaval. When we covered the stock, we had Bob Chapek. He was Bob Iger's nominated successor. And guess what? Lo and behold, Bob's been kicked out by his former boss, Bob Iger, who's back at the helm. Uh, Disney's had issues, for example, with the government, the, the, the state government in Florida, where you know they have a very large exposure. So there's been a lot behind the scenes. There's also been the fact that Disney has thrown the kitchen sink at its streaming business. Uh, I know that was a point that we had highlighted in the bear box. So for me, Disney was the one that just didn't work out that well. You know, it's one that you know, I've held through. I haven't added to the position and I am actually questioning the investment thesis. Now you raise a really good point there, which is the fact that we do cover this stuff in the bear box. So we might arrive at a conclusion that says, hey, I like the stock. I think I'm going to buy it. But the reason we do the bear box and the bull box in every single show is because there are always reasons why something can go better than you think or worse than you think. And the issues that happened in Disney specifically were things we definitely did raise in the bear box. And unfortunately, they've largely come to fruition. And yes, you're quite right. I mean, I've ridden that journey with you. But again, long term, I think Disney's content library is just incredible. And these, you know, these management issues will eventually go away. You made a comment there around Dungeons and Dragons. So I, I did once upon a time play Magic. I've never played Dungeons and Dragons. But, you know, you don't have to be a customer of something to understand its value. And you can see if you've ever been close to anyone who's into any of that stuff, you know, they love it. <laughs> they really do. And they're almost willing to pay anything. Well, one of the points in the bull box we made around Hasbro was that we knew there was some content coming onto Netflix uh, you know, just speaking of streaming, and that was around Dungeons and Dragons, and it actually hasn't been released yet. So maybe that'll give it a bit of a kick. Who knows? Uh, Draft to Survive worked really well for F1, although I don't think Dungeons and Dragons will ever have universal appeal. I think that's half the point. But uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens there. But I've written. I've written Disney with you, and I'm holding on. I'll share a happy story now. You know, so it's not all doom and gloom. So mine is Accenture. And admittedly, the one-year return on Accenture is minus 17%. So that clearly is not a happy story. But a one-year return is not investing. That's trading or swing trading, maybe. No, oh, it's probably too long for swing trading, but it's not investing. And I bought in well before that, actually, for the reasons we highlighted subsequently in Magic Markets Premium as being the fundamental drivers of the company. And I think Accenture is one of those I'll likely hold forever. They are effectively technology agnostic, but they play in all the right themes. So they are ultimately just an army of really talented people who run around helping companies understand technology and implement it. So what happens is you have these consultants who become really sticky in an organization. The organizations actually really struggle if these consultants go. So you have a scenario where Accenture kind of goes in, takes over a lot of that architecture. They end up being the only ones who really understand it properly and they charge by the hour for the pleasure or they charge value-based fees. And one thing that we picked up in Accenture, which really impressed me, is the way they've been able to expand their margins. I mean, this is a people-based business. So it's quite simple, really. You need to charge people out 
at an hourly rate that is significantly more than you pay them. How do you improve your margins? Well, you either improve billable hours, and obviously that has a you know mathematical finite point, or you need to raise what you can charge people. And that can only be done if you're doing really good value-added services. So that for me was a strong trend inside Accenture's business. The stock itself has been range trading for a little while now. So if you're actually looking for a swing trade opportunity, you know that's something you would have wanted to be watching for the last few months and maybe worth having a look at. But I'm happily long Accenture. I mean, this is one of the ones in my 10-year bucket. So I'm not too fussed about a one-year return. And uh, hopefully it continues to do, well, hopefully the underlying business continues to do well and the share price does something different to the last 12 months. And that's a nice one, Ghost, because you know, Accenture is a company that wasn't really on my radar. I think it's one that, you know, in terms of our discussions, popped on the radar because of Magic Markets Premium. Uh, it's not one that I've executed on. So you know, I sh I'll definitely go and check out what's been happening on the price action there. It, it hasn't been high on my watch list. And I guess the reason for that is because I've got other, let's call them defensive stocks in the portfolio. And that would be my, I guess, happy story in terms of a stock we covered in Magic Markets Premium. And that would be Visa. So when we had covered Visa, the stock was around $207 a share. And I actually had a position and I had added to that position around the $190 mark. And that was roughly around the time of the report. This was December 2021. Now, I must say it's not been smooth sailing all the way, as we know in investing. So if you look at the share price, you know, the, I had a scare. In September 2022, it looked as though it wanted to break that 200-week moving average. And I watched it and I watched it break the level tested and then the break wasn't sustained. So I actually held on to the position, but I got pretty close to actually cutting the exposure. And again, this is one that I've, I've held in the portfolio. The reason I didn't cut is because I have a long-term view on Visa and that long-term view was very much around, you know, these are the rails on which, you know, a lot of, you know, the credit card spend happens in the world. We've discussed this in our investment case. At the time as well, we were optimistic around the reopening trade. And we said, if you want to defensively play a reopening trade in the world in terms of travel, you know, you would play that through Visa because a sizable chunk of Visa's earnings come from, I guess, cross-border cross payments, travel, and so forth. And now, if you wanted to play that trend, you could have gone with the riskier route of buying hotels and airlines, or guess what? You could have bought Visa. So I had Visa in the portfolio. I added to that position around the time of our report. I've held it throughout. And the reason this goes into my happy story is that over that time period that I've held it from December 2021 to now, the market's down more or less, what, to, to today it's down around 15 to 18% from there, but Visa's actually up 26% over that time period from my, from my kind of entry level. So that's been on a relative basis, one of my very happy stories. It's a position I've had in the portfolio. Natural regrets here is, was the position sizing large enough? Obviously not on your winners, but guess what? I'll take the win. I'm happy to have that in the portfolio. And interestingly enough, I was looking at that technically more recently, and maybe we do a recap on this, is that it's broken out of what was a declining kind of channel, and it's gonna test that from above. And if that is sustained, you could arguably see another big push on the stock. So I haven't quite landed on a full analysis on the stock, but I'm happily holding it in the portfolio with a view that I might just want to scale into the winner on that one. Yeah, Visa is a fantastic business. I hold it as well. That's also in my hold forever pile. There's very little reason that I can think of not to. Great, great company. Another one that I will probably hold forever is uh, Ferrari. So not only does it have the, the coolest ticker around, which is race, which is brilliant, but it happens to be one of the very best brands in the world. And it's true luxury. And you know what I really like about this is 
a watch tells the time. Let's be honest. You can buy this beautiful timepiece. Its job is to tell the time. Yes, you may love it for reasons far beyond that, but it still just tells the time. A handbag, whether it's you know Louis Vuitton or you know from your friendly local pep store, it still carries things. The difference with Ferrari is it's super luxury, but it also does a lot more than a standard car. There is a monumental difference in utility unless you define it as literally gets you from A to B. And if you can go for a drive in a Ferrari or a Toyota and it makes no difference to you, there is a piece of your soul that has literally died. So this is luxury with utility for most people who have any degree of personality. And the other cool thing about Ferrari is they control the supply completely. There is way more demand than there is supply. They literally choose every year how many units they want to sell. So all they do is they just keep on ramping their prices for exclusivity. They keep on doing special editions, invite only. If you didn't buy the last few special editions, you know, you're not on the list. It's just remarkable that they can treat customers like this. If you think about it, like no one else can. <laughs> they don't treat their customers particularly well in this regard. And yet people queue around the block to get the next Ferrari. And the world's wealthiest people are not bothered by small annoyances like inflation or interest rates. You know, this is not Hasbro where, you know, the family is choosing whether or not to buy the latest Monopoly for Christmas or some more Magic the Gathering cards. <laughs> this is for the world's wealthiest people. And if you look at the net income chart, it dipped in the pandemic for sure. And supply chains will always be a key dependency here, even though Ferrari makes so much of their own stuff. They do still have a supply chain, obviously. But the earnings trajectory is now firmly back on track, pun unashamedly intended. And Ferrari is one of those businesses that really does just keep going. And it's almost irrelevant how well they do in Formula One, by the way. There's no discernible impact on sales <laughs> on whether or not they do well in Formula One. You would think there is, but uh, the chart suggests otherwise. It's been a long time since Ferrari was world champion. Yeah, with Max Verstappen of Red Bull fame going and taking delivery of his new Ferrari, I think that solidifies the investment case at the end of the day. For me, for me, the takeaway on Ferrari was just beautiful in that we looked at it and it's not an automobile manufacturer. It's a luxury goods company. And I think that was the key takeaway. The other key takeaway is that it's very much still a family business. If you look at the control structures behind Ferrari, there's very much a strong family element behind the Alcan family now, effectively the, the descendants of the founders of Ferrari. And there were also linkages to the daughter of Bernard Arnault, who is the guy behind LVMH. So very interesting to also see, I guess, the family business dynamic, as well as how European companies in culture are distinct from North American companies. That was a big takeaway for me. Now, I'm gonna jump from that into something decidedly more boring as my next story, and that is Simon Property Group. Now I say boring because you know, Ghost, I, I like property. Just as an asset class, I see it as, you know, arguably defensive. Now, you can get this very wrong. I mean, we've covered stocks, for example, in Magic Markets Premium in different segments of the market. It could be industrials. It could be a very concentrated niche exposure like American Tower in the telecom space. But Simon Property Group, for me, was a nice example because it came at a time when sentiment around consumers was at a low. Now, we covered the stock at around $100 a share. It was around May 2022, and it was still early in terms of when we would expect to see a rebound in terms of just consumer activity. You know, we had the prospect of rate hikes coming through in the US at the time. It kind of just commenced. This was, like I say, May 2022. The outlook wasn't necessarily rosy, but you have to divorce what you're paying for an asset from some of these macro elements. And so when I looked at Simon Property Group, Simon Property Group was giving you exposure to really the A-grade retail space, 
predominantly in the United States. This was the premium player in that market. Now, when we cover it, like I say, around $100 a share to where we are right now, it's around $120 a share. So that's a nice 20% return, arguably in less than a year. That's fantastic given just what's happened with the market over that time period. But again, I want to highlight, it's not just being smooth sailing. So I did get a scare. At one point in time, we were down to around $85 a share. And this was after we had actually released our report. It was after I had actually gone long. I had gone long you know, at, at around that 100 mark there and thereabouts. And the stock actually fell. So sometimes you've got to say, I like this. I like the investment thesis. I like the investment case. And then when investing, apply the discipline because there will be market noise. Apply the discipline. I'm not saying ignore it. Sometimes when it falls to 85, you reassess. You say, do I want to be in this? Do I not want to be in this? And then you can exit a position sometimes at a loss. They say your best loss is your first loss. That wasn't the case on Simon Property Group. This was one I had in my long portfolio added to the position, happy with where we are right now. I must say, would I be concerned? Things have definitely changed. Rates are a lot higher now. Disposable income's arguably coming off. So it's not necessarily in the buy and forget draw, but it has been one that has performed remarkably well over the course of the last year, give or take. So Mo, that buy and forget draw that you referenced there, one thing I've realized and, and seen in all the work that we've done, a lot of these sort of blue chip companies are giving kind of double digit total returns in dollars over a long period. Now, for our South African listeners, which is certainly the bulk of our listenership, if you go and draw, you know, the Rand dollar over any length of time, I can assure you, if you were earning 10% in dollars for the last decade in Rands, you are absolutely smiling. You really, really are. And to be honest, even 10% as a return, you'd struggle to get that on the JSC. And the problem is it's because South Africa has so many macroeconomic issues. There are lots of ways to make money on the JSC, but a lot of them require you to be really, really good at stock picking, or you need to play, you know, six month positions. Swing trading on the JSC, you can make lots of money. You can take advantage of your local market knowledge, your edge, all of that kind of thing. Offshore, there's a lot of stuff that you can just buy and let it sit, you know, and kind of return this 10% a year situation for you. And one of the things that I enjoyed recently was when we looked at a business like Pfizer, which has obviously got all kinds of risks in it, that was returning similar returns over time to something like PepsiCo or Yum Brands. I'd sleep a lot better at night selling KFC than doing high-end pharmaceutical research and all the potential legal fallout and reputational issues that can come with that kind of thing. That's a very risky industry to be returning around 10% to shareholders. Again, I'd rather just sell buckets of chicken. So from an investing perspective, the US market is ultra interesting. But of course, Mo, there's trading opportunities as well. And that's where the technical analysis we do on magic markets becomes quite handy. And I think there was one particular stock. I'm not sure if you took advantage of it or not, or if it's one of those, ah, oh, I missed it. But I think it behaved in some ways as we expected, right? Yeah, I, I want to highlight this because I remember having the discussion with you, Ghost, where I said, you know, th this is one of the most phenomenal short plays that I would love to take advantage of. But again, I was just not active in my trading portfolio over the course of the last year. So it's the one that got away. But it's FedEx. I want to highlight it because not only did we cover this in terms of Magic Markets Premium, we then highlighted it as a recap in Magic Markets Premium as well. And if you look at it, I would say, I wouldn't call it the perfect short, but it was one where we had actually had a bear flag playing out. It kind of broke out of that bear flag, tested it from below, and then continued downward. And, you know, FedEx was one that I, you know, if you can regret kind of them, I had it as a paper trade in my head, but paper trades don't mean real money in your pocket. For those of you that were out there that caught FedEx, that was a phenomenal short. And it's my one, I guess, regret of saying 
Nice to recognize the opportunity, but if you're not disciplined with your execution, and again, I wasn't not disciplined, I just wasn't focusing on trading this year rather than investing, you can find some good opportunities that might get away. Keep an eye out. There are lots of these gems out there. To your point, Ghost, going back to it, what I think is so phenomenal is that investing in global stocks sometimes gives you those nice, solid, double-digit returns. It gives you a nice dividend yield on some of these stocks over and above the share price growth. But the point that resonates with me that came through in the success stories that we've highlighted here is that first and foremost, expected returns over time from equity markets, generically speaking, are around 15% per annum. So you just can't get dislodged by years where, for example, you get the 40% returns and think and expect you're going to get that sustainably over an extended period of time. Investing is about finding good quality businesses and then sticking with the discipline and owning those throughout a longer period of time. And then potentially, yes, not trading, but taking profit when you see the investment thesis either play out or arguably deteriorate. Yeah, and that expected return, of course, depends hugely on the prevailing rates in that country. I mean, at the moment, South African government bonds will pay you somewhere around 10%. I haven't looked in a while. And that means that, you know, your equity investments need to do 15 for JSE-listed companies. It's a bit better in the US, of course, but that's kind of the expected, I've done okay out of this trade, you know, and that's why you see a lot of activity at the moment on Twitter around stuff like, you know, SA government bonds offer decent yield, and they do. I think the reason we focus on the offshore stuff is just, you know, to give your portfolio that diversification into the world's biggest companies that are far away from the purge of load shedding. Let's call a spade a spade. You have the ability as a South African to go and invest in that stuff. And that is why we focus on it in Magic Markets Premium. And I think the overall idea is we just try to give a really solid introduction to those businesses. What are the key strategic drivers? You know, what can work really well? What can potentially go really badly? Who's running the place? Who are their competitors? What do the latest numbers look like? And then, you know, a fundamental view and a technical trading view. And that's 99 bucks a month for one of those a week on these global stocks or 990 Rand for the year. So I would encourage any of our listeners who haven't given it a bash, 99 Rand these days, you can barely buy yourself some steers. So have a go, go and see what it's all about. Perhaps it's for you, perhaps it's not. But uh, if it is for you, I think it'll, it'll be the best investment you make and it's an investment you make in yourself. Yeah, thanks, Ghost. I think that's where we've got to leave it this week. You know, to our listeners who are not necessarily subscribers, we hope you've enjoyed the show. We've tried to be honest about it. We've showcased some stuff that's worked, some stuff that hasn't worked on both Ghost portfolio, my own portfolio. Uh, but go and check it out. Magic Markets Premium at 99 Rand a month, we think is the best value or investment you can actually make in your research journey, your research education. It's certainly valuable for us. We share these views regularly. Go and hit us up on social media. It's at Finance Ghost, at Mohammed Nala, and at Magic Markets Pod, one word. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this. And until next week, same time, same place. Cheers. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please, Speak to your personal financial advisor.